How can we as moms and moms-to-be who are more overwhelmed and worried than ever about our kids find natural, safe, effective, and real-life ways to nurture and cultivate amazing human beings? That is the question, and here are the answers. This is the Parent Coffee Talk, and I'm Dr. Roseanne. I'm Dr. Cleopatra. Let's get started. everybody. It's so great to be here. Hi, Dr. Rowe. Everybody, we're so excited to have a very special and distinguished guest with us. And Dr. Rowe, I would love for you to give a formal introduction. Bearing with us on Zoom's technical issues. It's not our issues, it's theirs. But anyway, just <laughs> rolling with it, right, Cleopatra? That's right. Be yeah. like a river in flow. Let's oh my it. gosh, like a river in flow. <laughs> so we have my dear friend who I actually vacation with. So you know, you vacation with somebody, you're really good friends. That is a good friend. Yes. <laughs> that is 100%. a good friend, right? <laughs> um, they see in your PJs and stuff. And you have a PJ friend that's a different friend. This mm. is my friend, Jennifer White, and she is actually an attorney, but she is really an educational advocate is what she is. She's that's a trained right. attorney. And she represents children with special education needs, under the law IDA, as well as children who require accommodations. And we're kind of, I'm so grateful that you're here because this is sort of almost like an emergency meeting of sorts, because I'm not going to swear, but it's a bad, bad situation right now. It is. The federal law, they do not know what to do with students under this quarantine and they're gonna make a really bad decision a federal decision or they're thinking about you know basically for the next year saying like we're kind of off the hook i'm exaggerating but we have you here to provide facts to tell us what we know what parents can do with special needs kids i'm a special needs needs mom jen's a special needs mom this is some serious stuff and we really need to know what our rights are and what we can do with our kids. So thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you. for um, I don't even know where to start yet. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Jen, for this really important conversation. And thank you, Dr. Roseanne, for knowing how much this conversation was needed and how urgent the conversation was. We, Dr. Roseanne said to me, we cannot wait yeah. to have this conversation. Parents need, our mamas need us to talk about this ASAP. And I have to admit that I would not have been aware of that. So thank you so, so well, much. Well, you know, as I like to tell everybody is that my mission, and I'm also the founder and director of the Global Institute of um, Children's Mental Health, is that one in two children in the United States has a physical or mental health problem. This is no joke. Yes. So the amount of special ed kids vary, but I mean, there are, there are a lot, and that's everything. It's AD and autism, medical problems. I'm not leaving you out. It's just so broad. And these kids, so many kids with special education, what they have is an individualized education plan they require specialized education. So, mm-hmm. you know, where should we start, Jennifer? So just to give you some background, mm-hmm. and so we got some really good information from Dr. Catherine and Dr. Roseanne on homeschooling when you never meant to be a homeschooling mom or a homeschooling family. Maybe a good place to start would be how does the conversation of homeschooling 
change when you specifically are talking about a child who has special needs based on a mental health disability or a physical health disability? So I think a good place, it's a good, very, very good question and a good place to start for sure. There is a difference, obviously, between homeschooling. Homeschooling is something that parents opt to do, right, in order to provide certain type of education to their children and what we're facing right now. What we're looking at right now is really unprecedented times, and it isn't that we have chosen now to homeschool our children, (laughs) but we have now become their teachers, right, For, for all intents and purposes. And it varies across the nation depending on what your school is doing. There are a million different ways to approach it, and every state is kind of taking their own time to figure out what to do. But right now, the federal government has given us a few guidelines very few guidelines. Go over those guidelines in terms of special education, because it is, I'm even hearing, Jen, that even in (laughs) our region locally, and and Jen works in all of Connecticut and New York, it is really being done very differently. I know our state in Connecticut, you know, each of the state commissioners, so every state has a state educational commissioner, Mm -hmm. and they're putting out different information. They're waiting for the federal government to decide. What are they recommending at this time during this pandemic? Right. So it's very general, unfortunately. And the states are really being left to determine what they want to do. And oh, that's great. How they want to <laughs> how they want to protect the health and safety, right? Yeah. Um, They're very lucky I don't attend school meetings anymore because I everybody knows knows me, all my attorney friends. Like I, I can imagine anyway. <laughs> unfortunately at this time they don't have to have I know they don't even have to have them at this point right. so that's right okay so that's one of the things like so that, everything that is sort of like off right now parents don't know what to get for support so I'm sorry so go ahead about your right. guidelines Jen. right so on March 12th the federal department of education issued some questions and answers basically a fact sheet basically very simply says if school is closed and the school is not providing education to their general education students, they're under no obligation to provide education to their special needs community. It's fine, that's cut and dry, easy to understand. A lot of our Connecticut school districts are in that position right now where they're not providing any education to anyone. Then goes on to say, if the school does decide to provide education, the school is closed, but they provide distance learning or remote learning to their general ed students, then they do have to provide an education to students with disabilities. And this is where things get sticky because Mm -hmm. students with disabilities are not just cookie cutter mold people. How many different types of disabilities are there and how do we level that playing field for them? What types of accommodations and modifications are needed to provide them with an education when they can't be at school? How profound is their disability? It goes on and on. Related services, none of this is addressed. So the schools really are left to try to figure it out on their own. Then it goes on to talk about compensatory education. Well, let's go back to how the schools are figuring out on this own because we're getting some, some comments from our tribe about, you know, this kind of stinks. Right. So it does. Right. And they're already trying to figure it out as on their own before the pandemic. Let's not get, you know, let's not even go into those murky waters. I always say that, that is going true. to a special ed meeting, I'd rather get a root canal <laughs> than go to a special ed meeting. 
It's that bad, right? I believe that. The thing is that every school district is trying something, but there's no guidance from the federal government. I'm hearing some districts putting some special ed teachers in place, offering. I mean, I think the problem is, as you kind of started out with, is that we have no consistency in education right now. Some people are doing Google Hangouts. Sometimes it's Zoom. Sometimes it's other things. And so I found that the majority of public schools are not doing video online live. Mm. Um, that's what I'm hearing more and more because they don't, there's a lot of legal parameters around that, that if looking at a child at home, then you're looking at them at home and teachers have obligations. Um, if a child's not well cared for or whatnot, just different kinds of components mm. and also dealing with distractions for that child, the teacher trying to teach and then there's distractions. Absolutely what's happening. Yes. The other piece of that is that there are students with such profound disabilities that they can't access online. And if you're going to be providing the same level of education to all of your students, you need to make it accessible to everyone. Mm. So that's part of why they're not able to provide that distance learning. I'm struck by how this situation is another example of gaps in our society getting wider and wider because it's one thing to have special needs in a a home with plenty of resources where someone can dedicate all of their time and attention to making sure that whatever the school can't do is compensated for. But in places where in homes where that's not possible because everybody's working there's not a computer. There are so many things. This is a huge issue because what's happening right now is that kids are going to be out of school for many weeks, if not many months, and maybe the rest of the school year. And that's a huge chunk of time that they're getting behind on their education that they'll never get to make up for. Over the long term, this is important not just short term. And so I'm really concerned about this. Yeah, it's a big concern. One of the things that most districts, at least in our area, are doing is providing Chromebooks to any student that does not have one. Oh, that's um, awesome. And that's part of trying to make this accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, providing Because it's not even just accessibility. So some areas are giving people free Wi-Fi to students, yeah. right? That's but right. some kids don't have a device. So that's why the schools have to step in and disseminate Mm -hmm. all of those Chromebooks they have on premises. And they are doing that. I have to give them credit there. They don't. It's not possible in the larger districts. You know, we're in a little tiny little cutie town in Connecticut. But, you know, these cities, they're not nobody's prepared for this. I mean, we have to. You know, I've been taught. I have so many teachers that come to see me. Um, And even though our center is closed, you know, I'm still in contact with a lot of my peeps and uh, my mama's. And, uh, you know, they were thinking about this in the last few weeks, but nobody really knew what to do in advance. That's a no whole other thing. Kids don't actually have their resources, you know, their books and whatnot. So in terms of special ed kids, you know, as you noted, they may be so impaired that they can't even access an online right. curriculum. And we have no guidance, right? We have no alternatives currently. No guidance. Okay. People are flying by the seat of their pants right now. Uh, the, the teachers are trying to do their best. They're They are. Families. The they're OGs, doing amazing. The, the DBAs, they're reaching out in many, many districts. 
But, you know, for a student that requires hands-on teaching, that requires a one-on-one paraprofessional at school, it's impossible to put that hyperactive child in front of a computer Mm -hmm. and expect them to learn. So Mm -hmm. what are we left with? We're left with parents becoming the teachers. And if you're fortunate enough to be able to be home with your child and not have to work yourself during that time, maybe you can get some things done, but we're not trained as teachers. I never expected to sit home and, and teach my children, you know, supplementary, of course, but not um, their all day instruction, right? Yeah. Then, you know, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. We don't have special needs children, but we have three small children, and we are in schools where they are doing video and they're having class tw- uh, chunks twice a day. Each of the ch- the children who are already in school, and my husband noted to me, we were watching our six-year-old and our four-year-old sitting at the table, each of them on their own laptop because they have the luxury of, of being on their own laptop. My husband said to me, I don't know how their teachers get them to sit still and pay attention like that for that long. If it were me trying to do that with them, this would never happen. I said, well, you're not that cue for them. Their teachers and their classmates are that cue for them. So they get it. Not only did we never expect to not be their teachers, their response to us as their parents is very different than their response to their teachers. And that's without the additional layer of having special needs on top of it. So I can imagine that that dynamic becomes even more complex when you have special needs. Absolutely true. You know, I always say, at least with my own son, and I always tell my clients and they agree, when you first meet that child, my son including, you set your expectations at a maximum. And so he knows how to respond to you. And my expectations were set a long, long time yes. ago. For him. And the expectation was not that I sit and read, you know, have him read a book and ask him questions about it. You know, the expectation was that we do life skills together or we have fun together. And, you know, that's what we've been doing. You know, we've been playing games. We've been playing Go Fish and Uno and learning to sit at family dinner time, because this is a great opportunity to start learning some of these skills that we haven't been able to work on because we're not sitting around the dinner table at six o'clock every night. We work, you know, my daughter gets home from school at five o'clock. She has homework and my my son wants to eat at four o'clock. So there's no family dinner. But now that things have slowed down, we sit down and we're teaching him to sit 10 minutes at a time at the table. It's not learning math. It's not learning how to read, but it's something and it's a skill that we are now finding we can teach him. Uh, We're in a different position than we had been in before. So yeah, we've been talking Jen all week about sort of like making lemonade at 11. What what can you take away from it? So like, that's a great thing. Beautiful. Yes. We're like, wait a second, regardless of what your kid's age is, like, what are they, what are they going to learn? Like, you know, uh, my housekeeper may not be coming this upcoming week. So, you know, right. they're going to be doing the dishes because I'm not. So <laughs> like learning other things. And I'm a former homeschooling mom. So, you know, I already have a different viewpoint. We can't, you are right. This is not homeschooling. This is temporary education for our kids. 
and they can't be expected to sit all day and, and whatnot. You were talking about one of the other guidelines that compensatory damages, am I, am I right? Compensatory education. Compensatory education. Sorry, I'm always thinking legally. I know. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a little speak. Oh my God, for my mamas who've been in a PPT with me, you know what I'm talking about. Special ed meeting, IEP. Um, <laughs> we call it a PPT just to mess with everybody. Uh, us and one other thing, state in the country call it that, right, Jen? Some of those things, What what's the next recommendation that they made for us or guideline, I should say? Basically, once school resumes, the IEP team, we would call it a PPT, but the IEP yeah. team would be required to make an individualized determination about whether compensatory services are, are needed. And this is scary. This is scary because every special education student after missing, whether it's two weeks, a month, three months, we don't know what it's going to be. Well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what the research tells us, how quickly kids, regardless if they're special ed or not, lose skills. Two weeks. Right. Two weeks. I'm not telling you to make your kids do nine hours of work a day because just to keep them up. But guess what? We're not going we're not going to just be out for two weeks and we're going to be lucky if it's four. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Every state is sort of doing a rolling close down just to prevent us from going in shock, I think is really what it is. Right. Um, they're only doing hard shutdowns. New York, in California, mm-hmm. now Connecticut just did it. Not even a hard shutdown in Connecticut. It's work from home if you can. Kids lose skills fast. And so this is even more the case neurologically kids with special ed, whether they have an attentional issue or behavioral issue or a learning issue processing, they need more repetition to learn. And so without that, you know, those skills can, you know, not only can you not, you're not going to gain skills in the same way, you can actually use skills without that level of repetition. Um, So that's concerning, right? That's right. It's the regression, Mm -hmm. recruitment, how long is it going to take to regain those skills? All of these things have to be taken into consideration And so, and again, it's the IEP team making that decision. So we're back to the drawing board. We, we, you know, meet with the same teachers and and really, how do they know when we come back? Well, that would be my question, right? Because when we're in special ed meetings, a lot of decisions are made on data collection. We don't have solid data collection. I mean, maybe we lucky enough if somebody had something more recent, but data points, right? Data talks. In special ed meetings. That's an important point. And, you know, anything that parents are collecting in terms of their data, we don't know how that's going to transfer into an IEP meeting post-quarantine, right? I think they're just not going to be sure. And there's no formality. The beauty of special education is the law. The law guides us. Talk to us a little bit about, Jen, um, this potential change in the law that right. is going on right now. Because I think this is the thing that is on every parent, uh, especially right. parent right now. That's a big issue. Before I jump to that, I really yeah. just wanted to say one quick thing that I always tell parents at PPT meetings and when we're reviewing proposed goals and objectives is to make sure that data collection is the way that um, the goal and, and the objective are measured. So performance criteria, percent of growth, all of that should be based on percent of trials, of change in percentage growth. So baseline upwards or downwards, whatever we're trying to measure. Do you want to give an example of that? Because I think this is one of the most valuable things that parents don't get. 
that data is truly their language and what's going to help their kid get what they need. It's not just the evaluation, even though I'm an evaluator, I love that data. It's the data that's collected performance data, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's standardized or not on that IEP, you know, that page, right? It's a federal document. Your IEP should look the same in every place you're at is that you're collecting data and measuring. So, Give it, give it an example. Well, I'll give a, a, an increase of baseline example. So you want a goal for a student with ADHD to attend. So Joey will maintain attention for three minutes above baseline. Okay. So you want the baseline from September, say, say the baseline was one minute. Now you know that you want him to attend for four minutes. Mm-hmm. And the way you're going to track and measure that is through data collection. So if that were the case and you had that goal and now we come back to the table and Joey was attending for three minutes before all of this because data is supposed to be taken consistently, then he goes back and now he's only attending for two minutes. We know that he regressed and he needs compensatory services. You really need hard and fast numbers in this data to help you with any decision, whether you're looking for an outplacement, whether you're looking for new services, increased services, whatever it is, when you have numbers and you're right, nothing speaks like the numbers. It's data, right? And really helping parents to understand. I think one of the things that's, this is going to be a shock to a lot of parents, this whole process, but people think just because your kid has an IEP that it's a good IEP. And that means your kid's getting the right services. And it's it's often not the case. So I love an advocate. You know, I think advocates are should be required. And if any parent can can afford one, um, there's also private. There's also um, not private. So Jed's a private advocate. But there's also agencies that offer free services all over the United States. You could often contact your state learning disability association mm-hmm. to find one. And that's what I would really, really recommend for people because they are your child's advocate. And these are laws. And in order to get your child the best IEP you can, you have to understand the laws and really it's understanding those rules. So contact your state uh, learning disability association to get an advocate to be part of your child's team. I think it's really important. Let's talk about the federal possibility of things being removed. Right. So there was a bill proposed in Congress before I get into what it was, it, it was it was walked back. So it was pulled back. and it, Oh, it was already pulled back. It was pulled back. Yes. It was suggested. It was proposed. It's out there. Okay. So now the fear is, can this and will this happen? This proposal would have given the Secretary of Education authority to approve state waiver requests for any statutory or regulatory requirement of the IDEA for one year. That really means that the um, schools would have been able to not comply with regulations that have been in existence for years and years and years that protect our children under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. The fact that the very basis for them receiving a free and appropriate public education is at risk right now is terrifying. Terrifying. It is terrifying. To stand on. I mean, that is our our basis for our children receiving the services that they are receiving. So a tremendous amount of pushback was, of course, (laughs) raised when this bill was proposed, and especially by um, COPA, 
which is a council of professional advocates and attorneys. And here in Connecticut, SEEK, which is another uh, organization with advocates and attorneys. And um, it was, like I said, pulled back, but it's the basis of a lot of discussion and a lot of concern. And, you know, the real theory is instead of giving the schools the ability to waive their requirements, even their legal requirements, why aren't we putting the onus on the schools right now to make sure that they comply with the law, which would mean having PPTs right now online with the school districts and discussing with parents of all students with special needs, what is the program that we're going to need to supply your children with? And how are we going to make it work? Everyone knows that we can't all of a sudden have 20 OTs and PTs traveling to people's homes. And um, nobody's being unreasonable here, but we need the law to back us up. This was just a very, very big and scary issue. If it comes to light again and it's proposed again, we all have to stand up as was done this previous time and explain that there are other ways to attack this. Relinquishing responsibility to our children is not an acceptable way of doing it. It is not. It's pretty scary that it even came up and it came up so quickly. My guess is everybody's so ill-prepared. They thought we need a breather from this, which like you said, it doesn't make sense. Like get on, do virtual meetings. Like schools have free access to Zoom right now. So it's not a question of money. Certainly if staff members are ill, then they can have replacements with other people in the district. But as we move through this, I mean, I think... Right now, it's this educational piece is a big deal and parents are ill-equipped at dealing with it, right? Even I'm trying to work out, my child is having online classes with Zoom. So he's just like Cleopatra's, right? Where everybody can see each other and whatnot. So um, that's not what most places are doing. Private schools are doing that quite a few But, you know, I have to coordinate and work out while I'm working because I am. But it's a challenge. I just worry about the regression of and how are school districts with all students, not just special ed, going to deal with this regression. And and kids are getting online education. So they're meeting their 180. They've already waived in our state the 180 day requirement. So we already know they're not going to stay late. I was wondering about that. Okay, that's really interesting. That's a state yeah. decision mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. right, Jen? That is a state decision for Connecticut. I'm, I'm fairly certain most states will follow. It won't make a huge difference because we're going to be out of school for so long. So to keep them right. at the end of, of June or whatever, you know, it's only going to buy two more weeks. It's just not going, if that even happens, we, you know, right. we need to be back in school. You have an excellent point, Roseanne, which is, how are we going to make up for this time? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's one of the, the big, big reasons why a lot of people in our state are pushing a lot of the attorneys, people through SEEK, COPA, are pushing for the districts to have these PPTs online. We can discuss, okay, for your child who has profound special needs, this online is not going to work. As soon as we resume, we're going to give him five days a week of OT, five days for PT, whatever it is for speech, whatever it might be, um, so that there's a plan in line. Because right now, we're thinking there's no end in sight, and our, our children are not getting the services that many of them have been receiving since they were six months old. Right. And this is the first time in their lives that they don't have these interventions. 
And we need to be able to tell them just for continuity and to keep the routine going. Yes, you don't have it for X number of times or, or when you go back to school, you will have it. Right now, there's so much up in the air. And we know the one thing that keeps our kids with special needs grounded is routine. At all kids. We have to know what to be able to tell them. So yeah, and, and that's why, you know, I did talk about this week that we really need a routine and a schedule. And it's really important to have some level of a consistent routine for all kids. But you are absolutely right, Jen, that we need this. This is required for special education kids. It'll be interesting to see what's going to be happen, just like a kid returning back to school after summer break, what's going to really happen with our kids. And hopefully they'll continue to thrive and be healthy because that's the other part of this. Some kids are not feeling well. And so they may even just be missing out on the instruction that's provided as well. Luckily, we're finding most kids are not as affected by the coronavirus. That's a great thing. But there's just so many unknowns. There are in the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education does speak to that. If if you are sick in your home with the coronavirus, with COVID-19, and your school is still in session, many or most are not, then you are entitled to homebound instruction. Mm. Oh, I didn't realize That's great. that. That's great. Yeah. However, you wow. have to take into consideration the health and safety of others. So homebound instruction is likely to be online instruction. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you can't have the exposure. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. If, I mean, are, I guess there might still be places, right. That have school. I'm not sure. somewhere in the United States, maybe right. <laughs> not in our areas, but uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, no. I'm really not sure, but that the, the law is there. Another piece of legislation or not legislation, but um, information handed down by the office of civil rights is that the schools are not required to have PPTs or IEP team meetings. IEP team meetings right now are, it's within the discretion right now of the school whether to hold them even online. So that's a huge issue as well because if you're in the middle of, of any type of major decision for your child, it's, it's now pushed off indefinitely. Oh, and you have lots of families that you're working with, Jen, right now that's in, in, we're in the middle of major decisions and now that's just on hold. So that's another piece that's just out there and what are they going to do? They're not going to pick that up. They're not going to say, oh yeah, we're going to meet you, you even right. though we don't have to. It's just not going to happen. Parents to utilize this time as stressful as the IEP process is, you know, maybe that's time to look through your documents and organize and relook at your data. Maybe spend some time analyzing your data. I know when I did evals, you know, I always had all my data by the year in a comparison chart. Another reason they loved me in the school district. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure of it. Speaking of comparison chart, I'm a scientist. So this is my orientation to ask the question of whether we have a precedent for what to expect in terms of the impact of this gap in education. So even though this particular instance that's nationwide, that's affecting us globally, and that's due to a virus is unprecedented. We have local examples, I'm sure, of natural disasters, uh, earthquakes, tornadoes, other things, hurricanes that have made it so that large areas are out of school for long periods of time. So there must be at least a small literature, scientific literature, 
that can give special needs families an estimate of the losses they can expect that they, even if they don't have their own hard data that they can bring to the schools, to the county, whatever, and say, my child is going to need these compensatory services because the scientific data show that on average, children, special needs children who have been out of school for X number of weeks or months lose this much, this percentage of progress. Uh, You bring up a a really great point. Uh, I think that can be helpful, certainly. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about individualized education plans, the best thing to do is to focus individually on your particular child. Yes. Um, When you're talking about, obviously, scientific data and and what things have happened in the past, Mm -hmm. the school district is very likely to turn around and say, that child that lost, you know, X number of months or regressed by X number of months is not your child. And they, you know, they have all these other circumstances surrounding their regression that your child does not have or could not have or might not have. So again, I think the best thing to do when we're talking about compensatory damages, Mm -hmm. and I like Roseanne's idea as well, uh, when we have time right now to go through, Mm -hmm. get all of your ducks in a row, Mm -hmm. put everything in a big binder, start looking from year to year through uh, testing. Hopefully your district for every triennial has done the same testing. Uh, Many districts will use one cognitive test, one triennial, and then three years later, switch to another one so that you really have a difficult time comparing scores. But if you can get some consistency through the testing, chart it, make charts. 2010, they scored, you know, 85 standard score, 2013, now it's down to 72. Okay. Show, show the decline, show the, show whatever it is that, that, you know, the numbers reveal when you come back to the table um, if you're not getting what you need based on discussions and, and um, anecdotal type evidence that you've seen at home in terms of regression, then you ask for testing again and right away show the regression through through the testing. So, yes, I'm sure there are some some pieces of evidence out there which would be helpful mm-hmm. that when there are these natural disasters, students do Regret, mm-hmm. I have no doubt that they do. Again, I think focusing on your individual child is the most valuable thing. Yeah, now, we, we have a question that is something I hadn't thought about, to be honest, and it's about privacy for students. If students mm-hmm. are getting special education services and in a group and they're doing Zoom in a group, does that use of Zoom with a special education class, right, that I guess the parents or anybody else that is there present uh, with the child, mm-hmm. does it violate their privacy? My gut reaction to that question is no. And the reason I say no is because it's been documented time and time again that there's a lesser right to privacy for a student in a public school because Teachers are in, guests are in, evaluators are in constantly. So schools tend to use that as a reason why they don't want somebody to come in and observe. But when you look at all of the arguments against having them come in and observe, you see that typically the precedent through the cases, the legal cases, is that students in a public educational school system have lesser right to privacy. 
And let me give you your, my top tip. Another reason why they loved me. Let's hear it, Dr. Roseanne. When they tell you that you can't observe or your evaluator can't observe, ask for the written policy. It's discrimination. Mm-hmm. So please That's ask it. for it. Be a while before it will be produced, but usually it means your evaluator can get in there and observe. So yeah, that's just something really interesting to think about. There's so many, there's, this is just a domino effect, right? Like we have one patient, right? Absolutely. None of us even thought about. Definitely. I think maybe, you know, what we can do, you know, I gave, um, we have a quarantine guide and some of the information you gave us, Jen, is going to be in our quarantine guide and they can go into www.drrosanne.com and they can get that quarantine guide. There'll be tips about homeschool resources, how to do homeschooling, and then this information about, you know, what to do for kids, you know, that have special education needs. So, you know, we talked about using real world learning to help set a routine, you know, depending yeah. on what your kid's level is, you know, you're going to do your kid's schoolwork, right? Some kids are packets, sometimes it's Zoom. You're not going to have them sit for more than 20 minutes. I don't care if you're a special ed student or not. That's just good <laughs> advice. Some say that goes for adults too. <laughs> yeah. It's really important that, that we're not demanding that they sit and do work. That's just not what happens in a classroom. There's so much movement. But, you know, stick to the basics, practice reading for your kids, the students that you're working with. Maybe they have dyslexia, maybe they have autism. Try Audible books. That's a great resource for for people. Read to your kids. Do whatever you can. I love that you're playing, you know, you do Uno, you do Connect Four, whatever works. These are all learning opportunities. Learning, you know, doesn't have to be that same way. And, you know, that's how a lot of homeschoolers operate. They bait. You use math, doing those and crafts. Who doesn't love crafts? You know, <laughs> and usually most level of kids can find a craft to do in some way, shape, or form. You know that can help bring some some joy to your kids. Stick to a routine. I mean, I think that's really important. You have some recommendations about curriculum apps. Yes. Different things. Let's kind of go over those because we didn't really go over that at any point. Um, I think that's a great idea. Right now, we're very fortunate that a lot of these companies are offering their full curriculum apps for free, which is fantastic. Many of them are for younger students, but there are some right now that are for all the way through high school. ABC Mouse is for younger students, um, age two through eight. And that's a full curriculum for younger students. It's all interactive. It's game-based. Yeah. And, and if you have an older child that is whose skills are much, much younger, it's a nice point for kids. It's very engaging. I really like ABC Mouse. And I think it's a really great product for kids to learn from. I agree. And then if your child's a little bit older, from age 8 to 13, they have Adventure Academy. Also similar. Um, If you're looking for something that goes all the way through high school, this one starts from pre-K, goes all the way to high school. Um, Time for Learning is also a full curriculum app. I really like Brain Pop. Wearing a free um, right now. The reason I like that one is because it also has social emotional learning curriculum. And for many, many, many of our kids, that's probably the most important piece that we want them learning. It's the most important piece out of anything, whether any any parent wants to accept it. So (laughs) you're going to go a lot farther in life when you have a higher IQ than a higher GPA. 
just yeah. going to let and you And a higher all emotional IQ, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. Sure. What can parents do, Jen? Right now, they really can't do much if they're really struggling with a kid at home. They're used to having a one-to-one aid or their kid mm-hmm. is really resistant. Right. What can they do right now? We're doing a lot of, you know, I, I have a, a child who has, you know, p- pretty profound disabilities, um, who has behavioral, sensory, cognitive, everything, everything, anything you could think of except for physical limitations. So we do a lot of movement. We have him outside five or six times a day, scootering, walking, walking the dog, playing ball, obviously six feet away from anybody else, but... Mm-hmm. We, you know, we just have him walk. He likes to move and it keeps him regulated. If you can't get outside, there are apps called Goal Noodle. Most of the kids are probably familiar with them already because the schools use it. It's a a fun way to get moving. There are yoga apps, Cosmic Kids or Bunny Yoga. And then Disney has an app called Get Moving with Disney which is another like workouts, but with your favorite Disney characters in them. That's pretty so, fun. So there, there's some <laughs> great things. Disney is doing virtual ride experiences. Are so, they? I haven't even heard. How fun is that? What was the first one that you mentioned, the movement well, app that they well, do? We're going to have a resource list of all this stuff oh, okay. um, in yeah. our guide on www.rosanne.com. Yes. Well and, and we'll send it to you because I we already took care of this. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Yeah. that's pretty cool. And I like the virtual ride thing. So Jen, it is is missing out going to aquariums, you know, uh, weekends for us were filled with the bouncy houses and, you know, what it was sky zone, all of that activity after activity. So it's very different right now. A lot of the kids love aquariums. So go to the virtual aquarium right now. Yeah. There's virtual museums online right now. There's a lot of different things. I think parents need to hear that they need to do the best they can under the circumstances. You're clearly not going to be able to rely on your special education team at this moment, Mm -hmm. considering they're not even obligated to provide um, IEP meetings. I still think communication is important. If you have concerns, I think you should still emailing the team and especially if they are providing education for your kids, if it's not appropriate, you need to document that, right? If your child is not receiving the same level of education as the other general education students are, it's an important thing to bring up. You can call the director of special education of your district and find out how you can make sure that your student is receiving appropriate services. Somebody's asking a a specific question. This is great. So there's a lot of dyslexics in the world. You know, two out of 10 children have difficulty in reading and that's, you know, everywhere in America. And it's uh, dyslexia is the number one common characteristic and 40% of businesses. I did not know that. 40% of businesses are owned by a dyslexic, very creative mind. So smart. Love my little saucy. I got a dyslexic at home. Anybody who knows John Carlo, loves him because he's, uh-huh. he's awesome. Right, Jen? <laughs> so anyway, the question is, what do you suggest for parents who are using a specific program, particularly a phonics project program they no longer have access to? Ooh, what, what do you suggest? 
Many of them are offering online tutorials for those types of Orton-Gillingham programs. So I would suggest doing a Google search for that. It's not going to replace the type of tutoring they're getting at school because as everybody at this point probably knows, these multi-sensory programs must be delivered with fidelity in accordance with protocol. We are not trained as parents to deliver them. So you're not going to get the same results as your child was getting at school. However, a little bit of something is better than nothing. The other thing I would suggest is two other things. One is um, ReadWorks is an app that is free right now, which has students read passages at their own level. And then there are comprehension questions about it. There are many, many, many free apps right now that will read the books to you. Uh, Josh Gad is reading books online. I know. It's how awesome, right? I love that. It's so true. Right. Lennon Doyle is doing story time with Ms. G, and she's just a delight to listen to. Email your team and, you know, ask for access to things that they could potentially be, you know, schools have things in place that you may not have uh, known about because you didn't need before. So definitely ask. And then also, you know, that's documentation as well. So you have a lot of questions, Jen. There are also many, many tutors, and I've had several contact me from my clients saying that they are doing online Wilson support. Orton-Gillingham support, if you can afford to do that, you can pick up where your child left off and do it online. Like you said, you can call the school and say, this was my child's program. I would like it to continue. Will the teacher, the, the reading teacher, or the tutor be available online to continue this service? For yeah. And if your child is a dyslexic, they need an Orton-based program. There's a, Orton is the mother of all the reading programs since 1917. And then there's several reading programs that grew out of it and are all really good. They're all evidence-based. So if you're getting a tutor, don't just get a reading tutor. Really get somebody who's at least highly trained. We love certified people, but they're hard to find. Um, And you can get onto the Orton Academy. You can look at your state resource list. You can get onto Bright's Law has a list of providers. There's, you know, use Google to find somebody and they can work with your child virtually to keep things going. This unfortunately probably is something you'll have to pay out of pocket. And who's to say that districts will reimburse anybody? They're under no obligation at this point, right, Jen? That's correct. But hopefully the district will work with you because the compensatory education that they will end up having to give afterwards is costly for them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And names of specific programs, we'll have that in our guide. You can register at www.forzan.com. We'll get that. Here's a question. Are compensatory services different than extended school year services? Absolutely. So extended school year services are services for students who would regress or need extra recruitment time or have extremely severe disabilities and need services usually during the summertime, although extended school year could be an extended school day, earlier morning, earlier afternoon as well. Compensatory services are for services that you did not get. Extended school year is not to make up for something that you lost, but to make sure that you don't lose what you already know. And compensatory services are to make up for what was lost. The confusion lies in the fact that they're using the regression recruitment standard right now for whether students are going to be able to receive compensatory services. And that standard typically applies to ESY. But they are two separate 
just so many facets to this virus and the shutdown, yes. not just in the United States yes. at a global level, but you know, our special ed kids are as important as everybody else. I think some school districts and schools are trying the best and doing a really good job. And I hope that they continue. I'm going to be always super positive. I always go, would go into meetings really nice. Yes. And then we didn't always leave that way, but um, <laughs> gotta be, you gotta be the advocate, right? So, yeah. you know, sometimes people don't like being called out on things that aren't right. So, so I'm a huge fan of advocates and just because they are totally objectively just to help your child. And it's a really scary process. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, Jen? You can go to my website, which is www.jwadvocatesplural.com, or you could call me at 917-841-7915. Oh boy, everybody and their mother's going to call you. I was going to say, you're the first to give the phone number. (laughs) That's what really makes my practice different than others, is we do, we respond, we respond to us, we live and breathe it. Yeah, you can tell it shows. It shows. Yeah, and a lot of levels. Anyway, so grateful for you to be here and support so many mamas in this really ridiculously stressful time. But enjoy this time with your child the best you can and just know you are doing the best you can and really be there to connect because even as stressful as it is, that's what you can do. That's what the gift you can give your kids. This will all work out because it has to. And thank you to our state, our leaders in different states that are really, really fiercely advocating and making sure that this type of legislation is stopped. Mm -hmm. You know, that's pretty awesome. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Be well, everybody. We're really looking forward to that. Have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you so much for being here, Jennifer. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Are you searching the internet, Amazon, and Facebook groups? Looking for therapy techniques to help clients because you just weren't trained on how to do teletherapy? Then the Teletherapy Toolkit book is just what you're looking for. It's the first of its kind guide and it's jam-packed with easy to use and clinically effective therapy techniques that address the most common issues that child and adolescent therapists face today. Go to teletherapytoolkitbonus.com for your free teletherapy session checklist and video made just for therapists.